headphones. I can't plug them directly into the laptop and get sound. I have to plug them into the external speakers that I'm using. <laughs> only sometimes, though. I think only with Zencaster is that a thing. It's so weird. Yeah. I don't think I ever sent you the link to that mic, did I? No, no. And ah, also, okay. as, as now that I'm remembering it, oh, yeah, like copy points for the throwback throwdown. Oh, like yeah, the, yeah. I've just okay. been kind of making up my own because I went to the website and Facebook page, and you told me about crawfish, and I was like, okay, I can I can get something very – but also – uh, that brings me to sub-question A. If it's, on, um, if it's on this street in Bryan, is it Villa Maria? Like I would say yes. here in Pittsburgh? Okay, all right. I yep, didn't know if it yep, was going to Vil- be Via. No, no, you're right. Villa Maria. Villa Maria. All right, good. Because yep. I did, did not want to screw that up. Because I know that <laughs> you know down there in Texas, much closer to the you know Hispanic Yeah, actually, Tim, it is population. Via Maria. That's what I was going to say. Your, you have to roll your R, too. <laughs> Via Maria in Bryan. <laughs> oh no! I've been doing that oh, every no. break. Is that bad? <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't notice. <laughs> I, whenever, whenever I started and I was doing remote tracks, uh, former PD was saying, "Remember, it's Aggie Land because we had a tracker one time call it Eggie Land." <laughs> I was like, gonna. Who guess. would who would see that and say Eggie Land? I was gonna guess Augie maybe, but not Eggie. <laughs> Here we are in Augie Land. <laughs> Augie land. Oh, <laughs> but, God. Yeah, I've been going as Speedy Gonzalez and, and using a uh, stereotypical <laughs> Latino oh, no. accent. Is that bad? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought since I hadn't heard about it, it was okay. But yeah, check your Twitter. <laughs> check your Twitter mentions, maybe. I don't know. Um, I think those are all the I think those are all the work questions that I had. Um, okay. So what was with the um, have you been pulling a lot of late hours or was that just because of like Chili Fest or something or what was up? Um, uh, let's everything, man. Mm. Last week, uh, Wednesday, I had a 12 hour day because, yeah. uh, we had to go and set up banners, uh, for chili fest and none of our part-timers are reliable. Ugh. So, Jeez. uh, they needed me to go out and help. It was me, uh, our junior engineer and the front desk receptionist oh along gosh. with the promotions director. N- none of the part-timers Jeez. were able to go out and help. That sucks. And that was so, on you Wednesday? Know, yeah, that was on Wednesday. And then Friday was 14-hour day because of actually going out to Chili Fest. Yeah. And then that led into being in Dallas all weekend for uh, WrestleMania. Yeah. Which I haven't – I didn't go to, which sucks. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've only watched clips of on my phone – but I'm just getting home now, currently recording this at 3.40 on Monday afternoon. Yeah, because and of, Oh, wait, yeah, because you were off today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, you were I, in I, Dallas? I took, yeah, I, I, I took today off. I, I ah. stayed the night because I didn't get out of... <laughs> this, was, this was sad because I didn't get out of the show and back to my Airbnb, and I was sweeping through my show, and... My alarm goes off for oh, me to wake up. Damn it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I've been up so long that it's time for me to wake up. Uh, wait, so you had to, were you still, was your alarm left on by it mistake? Might, I, I just have it set to go off Monday to Friday yeah, at 4 a.m. and you forgot to turn it off. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't turn it back on. I just have it set to uh, uh, turn, turn on automatically yeah. whenever... Uh, my phone goes into uh, night mode, which is uh, Sunday through Thursday at 9 p.m. Yeah. And then my alarm turn goes off at 4 a.m. Monday through Friday. Jeez. Well, that uh, well, at least you had, uh, you know, at least you had the day off. 
Yeah, but my God, like still being up and like working on like, hey, I, I want to make sure that my show doesn't sound absolutely dog shit. And it's just like music and sweeps yeah. this morning. Yeah. And doing that as I'm supposed to be getting up to do my show. I'm like, oh, I've been up Jeez. way too long. Yuck. I will, I will fill out the next month of the NHNL Google Calendar. Um, have you gotten access to that? Are you have you looked at that? I haven't looked at it. I'm sure I have access to it. Um, okay, now that you have access yeah, to the email, now that I have access to the email, but now that I have access to the email too, I just have I don't check it very often, so I'll have to yeah. remember to. I do mean, that. it's it's 98 percent spam. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna There's work a lot on of spam clearing that out while I had time. Yeah, but. go go for it, yeah. please. I I typically I tend to flag unread, at least unread on the air emails that yeah. we get. But uh, save anything that is not spam. Yeah, yeah, I, I would do that. Yeah, because I, I logged in and I was like, what the hell? Maybe, is this the right box? <laughs> it's just, all it is is like generic like, Viagra and just random <laughs> Ray-Ban emails and stuff. That's basically it. Yeah. And, and hey, your car insurance quote yeah. for no hugging, no learning at g- show at gmail.com is ready. I'm like, okay. Yeah. We got a LeBaron. And, wow. Uh, All right. Yeah, and we, we wrapped it with the logo and everything. And, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be great. We'd each need one, though, to drive around our respective markets. All right, should we get going? Yeah, might as well. All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Curb Your Enthusiasm for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 1, Episode 4, The Bracelet. But before that, what's the deal with stuff from our last episode, Porno Gill. We really only had one little bit of homework, and that is when Larry and Cheryl are lost on their way to Gill's house. They run into a cranky old lady, and I recognize the actress, and also he calls her Baby Jane, and we wanted to know what's the deal with that obviously derogatory nickname, but why is it so? Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a 1962 American psychological horror thriller film. (laughs) I never knew that about it. I've heard of this movie. I did not know it was like a psycho style, you know, it's black and white. I mean, it's really old. So when you say psychological horror thriller, we're not talking about hostile or something like that. You know, it's like, it's going to be very tame as, as, you know, as far as the standards from 60 years later, but it follows a bitter aging former child star. That's Jane. That's the titular Jane. And she torments her paraplegic sister, who is a former movie star named Blanche in an old Hollywood mansion. So Jane was like this little child star whose star faded and Blanche became this big movie star. So she's like very old and, and bitter. And so she torments her sister who, who can't uh, fend for herself because she's uh, in a wheelchair or, or, or bedridden. Um, And it was nominated for five Academy Awards and it won one for best costume design. Hmm, And all right. Betty Davis, who I believe plays Jane, received her 10th and final Oscar nomination for Best Actress for this movie. So she was on quite a roll back in the 50s, I guess. And when I was reading this, I was like, boy, this sounds kind of familiar. Guess what famous Seinfeld quote is from the movie, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? I dropped a name in there uh, that might ring a bell. In the airport, season four, episode 12, George is buying the last copy of Time magazine because there's a blurb about him in it, and he won't give it to the criminal who is actually on the cover with the caption, caught. The guy, he's like, you can't buy the last Time magazine. And he's like, a very. it almost looks like Clint Howard, but it's not Clint Howard, but it's that kind of actor. And George is like, oh, uh, there's a blurb about me in here. He's like, a blurb? You're a blurb. Look at the cover. And it's the guy who's in, 
he was being held by federal agents or whatever and it says caught underneath him so he's like so george buys the magazine anyway and the guy's like do you know what i'd do if i wasn't in these shackles and george goes but you're blanche you're in the shackles that oh. is a quote from whatever happened to baby jane because blanche says you know you know something about being in this chair and she's like but you are blanche you are in the chair uh, i remember and, us so, yeah. thinking that was the weirdest reference at the time <laughs> yeah it really like what is. the fuck is george talking about okay yeah. what is the i mean even in the, that movie was already 35 years old or something at that point so what are the odds yeah. that a serial killer yeah. <laughs> yeah, would have would have seen it it's it's just weird but obviously a favorite of Maybe Larry David, because now he's put it in, you know, a reference in Curb Your Enthusiasm and in his era of Seinfeld. The Baby Jane actress, the actress who played Baby Jane in Curb Your Enthusiasm was Nan Martin. And I'm pretty sure I recognize her from Shallow Hal. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's the old, like, wrinkled nurse who is very ugly to (laughs) Hal. And then when the spell is broken, he goes back and finds out she's actually hot. But she was, like, treating all the burn ward patients and stuff, like, really badly. And so he never knew that she was, like, a hot chick. He He thought she was just this ugly old mean nurse. Because she's always the one trying to like stop them from having fun and stuff, uh, him and Gwyneth Paltrow. So she was also Mrs. Louder in 26 episodes of Drew Carey show. That must have been locked in my brain somewhere. <laughs> she was also in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and she was in Castaway. Uh, she plays, I think, Helen Hunt's mom or something like that. Very small role. I don't even remember her from it. But she died in 2010 at age 82. And oh, man. I found this interesting. Her first role was in 1952 on the Schlitz Playhouse of Stars, back when <laughs> beer would just sponsor primetime TV, <laughs> which I love. It's one of the things about the 50s, like the, the commercials with like Fred Flintstone, like smoking Marlboro's Bar- Marlboro's Barney. You got to love them like those. I love I love that there was no regulation of who could advertise what and uh, where. Only slightly less healthy to them to this day, having their likenesses slapped on the sugariest cereal you can find. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fruity pebbles, exactly. I mean, I'll still I still buy cocoa pebbles every every chance I get. But I, yeah. I mean. In, in the long run, is cereal much more healthy than smoking? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely not those. Yeah. And I find that the Pebbles line of cereal are the best dry cereal. Like anytime. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anytime Absolutely. Fruity Pebbles are in like a donut or an ice cream or whatever, it's like you're in for a treat. Yeah. Well, I think like you're onto something there, but I want to throw a caveat into it. It is the best dry cereal that is only a cereal. Do you know what I mean by that? No. Okay. Because I could throw in cookie crisp into that, but cookie crisp dry is just little tiny cookies. That's true. You could throw Oreos into that, but Oreos dry are just Oreo cookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not shaped like Oreos, so they're kind of like Oreo, they're O's, you know, so you they're could Oreos. make the argument that, yeah, <laughs> that that's not necessarily a cookie, but I can, I can see what you mean that, that, yeah, it's like cookie crisp is a stretch. I think, I think Jerry Seinfeld actually has a good bit about, or, or Brian Regan. I, I forget which one does the bit. I think it must be Seinfeld because he's Mr. Cereal about like cookie crisp and how like we went too far. Like kids went too far trying to fool parents into letting them eat <laughs> sugar until they finally just made one that was cookies with you and you pour milk over it. And then parents <laughs> were like, no, we're, we're putting a stop to this, right? This is the line right here. I, now, now that I'm saying it, it might be Brian Regan. I forget if it is somebody besides Jerry. He's probably kicking himself for someone else having like a killer bit about cereal that could have been his. Because to me, the Pebbles line of cereal gets too soggy in milk too quickly. 
So anytime I've had it, it, it just turns into like almost a milkshake, <laughs> like a like a thick, like fruity or chocolatey liquid immediately mm. that you could like just drink the whole thing with a straw. Let me see. Oh, that's so that's the only bit of homework that we had. Here's some other trivia and tidbits. This is the only episode of the series with a cold opening. Uh, we noticed that you know we, it starts not with the black screen as normal until the first episode of season eight. Let me uh, let me say. Oh, so we will get another cold open, but not for a while. <laughs> in uh, in four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the first episode in which Larry says his catchphrase, pretty, pretty good. So we might have to track that. I, I really only associated with one episode. Just goes to show you how unfamiliar I actually am with these early seasons. Uh, so we'll have to see how often that pops up. To be called a catchphrase, if it, if it does happen enough to be a catchphrase. The character Gil Thielander, Bob Odenkirk's character, is named after... Curb Your Enthusiasm's second camera operator, Patrick Thielander. So again, continuing the tradition of naming side characters after crew members. I feel like that happened a lot on Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is all of the trivia and tidbits. Now, please rise as we do our reading from the book and what the book has to say about Porno Gill. Ah. Um, in this episode... Bob Odenkirk's description of his bar as Gil, Gil's description of his bar during the tour of his house, required a ton of takes because it made David laugh every time. And I did love this line. I don't think either of us pointed it out because it comes right after, uh, comes, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> pun intended, the house that come built. And so th it's kind of overshadowed by that line. But when he points to his bar, he goes, that's a collection of small bottles. And I like them. They're not as big as normal. <laughs> <laughs> Just another hilarious Bob Odenkirk non sequitur. And supposedly <laughs> David cracked up. Larry David cracked up every single time. But he, but he kept saying it take after take. If you look carefully at the lamp Larry knocks down at the party, it's clear that it's being pulled off the table by a string. I did not notice Aww. that. I know. Boo. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Normally, those special effects are pretty obvious to us, but uh, you know, it went by us. Maybe HBO Max like went back and erased it. You know, now that CGI is better, <laughs> erase that string. <laughs> Shortly after this episode was shot, in which Larry can't work the GPS system in the car, Larry David taught himself to use his own car's GPS, saying it's the only technological thing that I've ever learned how to operate. I really wanted to use it. Okay. <laughs> Pete Steinfeld, who asked to try on Larry's watch during the dinner party, is Larry David's real-life trainer, and he's also from Sheep's Head Bay in Brooklyn, where I guess Larry David is from as well. So that was that guy did look like a trainer, I gotta say. So yeah, they, they cast yeah. him very well. Uh, Cheryl tells Larry that he received a call from John DeBellis, and that's the name of a good friend of Larry David's in real life. Oh, that was when yeah, when he walks into his office, his um. No, wait a minute. Yeah. Now I don't know. Yeah, so that must be the guy he was calling at the very beginning. Yeah. And Porno Gill's last name, as I already mentioned, this is from the book as well, borrowed from second camera operator on Curb, Patrick Thielander. What were they thinking? From that section, director Robert B. Weedy said, uh, he pitched the porn storyline to David after the funeral of a friend. My friend was single, so we sort of half-jokingly, half-drunkenly started to wonder if there was anything in his house he wouldn't want his family to find. That led to a joke between us that if one of us dies... You definitely go through the house. So that's where the Jeff storyline came from. Bob Odenkirk said, The show was fun to do, and I'm glad it went over as well as it did. But about the fake porn, fake fucking is a lot more like real fucking than you want it to be. <laughs> 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 that's amazing and educational. Larry David said, The line, pretty, pretty, pretty good, came from a bit I did on stage once that had to do with how you never tell your parents how you really feel. 
It was about my mother coming home and finding me with my head in the oven. She says, how are things going? And I say, things are good. Things are good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Brian Palermo, who played Brian, the uh, guy with the hat from the very beginning of the episode and then pops up at the dinner party later, says, that was only the third episode, so they were still finding their way and would overshoot. They must have shot two hours plus of seven people coming up with their worst porn stories ever. Oh, Uh, my God. That's crazy. Why? No idea. I guess, you know, because they were just... Like, like you said, overshooting and making sure they had enough. Because, you know, when you, I guess when you're improvising the script, you're like, all right, we don't know what's going to work. We know what's working now. But when we get in the editing bay, if we don't have it, we don't have it, you know? Like, we yeah. don't have a script and we don't, we don't have like, all right, here's the part of the script we need to get done today. It's like, oh, no, we didn't, we didn't get the storyline. The story didn't move forward or, the, or it's not funny enough or something. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's weird. Um, so I'm guessing that is. The so were there like a million different variations of the Tabasco story? Like not all of them about Tabasco, but like, uh, <laughs> all right, here's another thing about. And why do all these people have porn stories? They're not all porn stars, you know. Mm-hmm. Very true. It's, it's weird. So there you go. That is the book. All praise to Larry. I don't know. <laughs> and we close the book. Yeah, and that's it. That's all I got. All right. Before we get into everything else, should we open up Newman's mail sack now, or should we save it for the end of the show? Let's save it for the end this time. Okay. All right. Yeah. We will save it for the end. So if you have never listened to this, ep- what, what? how do I normally start this? Well, I was going to say before, I was going to say, let's save it to the end so that we can talk up top about the big news because we well, do actually news. have news that we have to deliver. Estelle Harris passed away. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. As we're, as we're recording this, it happened yesterday i think april, or saturday april yeah saturday april 2nd yeah okay when it was announced anyway yeah she passed away of uh, natural causes uh saturday night in palm desert california just a couple weeks before her 94th birthday yeah so obviously played estelle costanza george costanza's mom and uh, also mrs potato head that's what a lot of people remember her from but, and you know. Muriel from The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Right. I was going to mention The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Futurama. I mean, The Wild Thornberries. Yeah. Uh, Moesha, Mad About You. Married with Children. Night Court. She'd uh, done a ton of stuff. Um, and was, on, uh, yeah. was she living in Palm Desert or was she vacationing there or something? My guess is that she lived there. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Palm, Palm Desert and is uh, right adjacent to Palm Springs. Oh, okay. Yeah. It must have been like uh, nearby. Uh, but Jason Alexander tweeted, one of my favorite people, my TV mama, Estelle Harris, the joy of playing with her and relishing her glorious laughter was a treat. I adore you, Estelle. Love to your family. Serenity now and always. Yeah. And I saw a funny quote about her playing Estelle Costanza that she was like, she always thought the character was too loud, but she said, every time I yell, <laughs> they laugh. So I'll just keep yelling. <laughs> so she definitely knew how to work a crowd. So Yes. <laughs> Couldn't couldn't let the week go by without mentioning the great Estelle Harris. And now you're whatever your thing is. <laughs> okay, sorry. I had a, no, I had a go on. All right. If you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 23 minutes being exclusively homework and bullshit. We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the show and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. 
I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in the last 20 years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at NoHugging on Twitter or NoHugging at NoLearningShow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Speaking of those, if you like what you hear, you can give us a five-star rating and a written review on either one, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you do so... Uh, and you send us uh, some proof that you did, because uh, we don't always see them as they come in, we will send you a no-hugging, no-learning sticker free of charge while supplies last. Um, again, just send the proof of that to uh, the email in the description. If you'd like to support us monetarily, you can do so as well. Patreon.com slash no-hugging. For just five bucks a month, you get every episode of No Hugging, No Learning one week earlier than everybody else you get all the clipped content from all of our episodes as well as two bonus movie reviews every single month let me just say last week's patreon is worth the money just for the deep dive into alternate diehard titles oh my Uh, god (laughs) I, i can't recommend it enough it's really interesting so if you're listening to this consider it an ad for for you know the patreon account you need you need to hear that trust me uh we we, we actually got a shout-out on the Idiotville podcast um, the middle of March. It's when they had their uh, episode with, uh, what's his name, Jacob Barco, he, the, the former director of CAM. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, they brought us up in the beer segment talking about our uh, Bloodsport episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you know what I never – I mean, just here's maybe some clipped content for you, but since it came back up, I wrote – a song about Bloodsport. I was like messing around with like multi-track audio recording and I just like was throwing some, I just like put it on a guitar part and I wanted to put down like another one on top and then my vocals and then vocals on top of that. And so I wrote a Bloodsport song and I found it on my computer. It's from um, uh, December 22nd, 2004. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was about, and I must've just watched it or something because it was about Frank and uh, the guy from, and Donald, what's his name? Uh, The guy who's the, from Seinfeld and it went Donald like, Gibb yeah yeah Gibbs? that's right that's right and it went like hey hey I met you at the Kumite hey hey and you were playing video games and then it went on from there like it was it's not very long because like I said it was just it's not meant to be a song but I still saved it and it's been stuck in my head ever since <laughs> and I can't oh my god I wish uh, I wish I would have found it to put it on that episode or something but maybe I'll send it to you and you can put it in clipped our clipped content <laughs> <laughs> our original song Oh my gosh! Are, are you comfortable releasing it to the yeah? I'd love to the to. world. Okay, yeah. I say releasing it to the world, <laughs> re- releasing it to the patrons. We'll yeah. we'll keep it limited a little bit. Yeah, but if you are on on Patreon and you have like twelve million TikTok followers, you can use it. You can use the audio for free. Go ahead and do oh it. My God, make us go viral. <laughs> All that being said, season one, episode four, the bracelet original air date November fifth, two thousand. If you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see Larry is continually thwarted in his effort to buy a bracelet as a peacemaking gift for Cheryl. Another great generic intro. Larry is continually, continuously thwarted. <laughs> that happens too every week. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, so not bad. Uh, we'll see if we can make it better. This one really is, uh, j- again, not to skip too far ahead, it really is of singular. It doesn't have as many, many plot threads going on as the previous three episodes, I'll say. But again, we'll see if we can make it better at the end. So yeah, we open up. We are back to the old titles, just the theme song Frolic and the Curb Your Enthusiasm over the black background. And we open up at home where Larry is watching football 
this didn't look like the NFL to me. Later on, it is purported <laughs> to be the NFL. Did it look like that? I couldn't tell if it was an actual NFL teams. What did you see? Uh, well, I had the issue uh, upon first starting the episode where HBO Max like was playing the episode but wasn't totally buffered yet. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, I know it didn't look this bad <laughs> in 2000. Um, it th- thankfully, it cleared up a little bit. It, it cleared up to standard def yeah. uh, eventually. But whenever it started, I-, I would say it was like 140p. Oh, geez. Yeah, mine does that too. Like the the, the HBO static logo, the ball is, is always very <laughs> Like you can't read anything. It just looks like static. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so, yeah, it takes a second to catch up. I mean, but it's it's on TV later, and it still didn't look like any NFL team that I could discern, even from the 2000s. So uh, I don't know what they're, but but they're purporting it. It's the, it's the Giants, I guess, the New York Giants. And he's also on the phone with somebody. Cheryl comes home from visiting her mom in Tallahassee, and she starts telling a story from vacation, but Larry is distracted by the game because it's like the last two minutes, and Cheryl finally kind of sighs and is like you know what watch the game watch the game and Larry knows he's in trouble at that point but he does go back to watching the game later on in the bedroom he's talking to Cheryl like nothing is wrong about soy like oh yeah do you hear this thing about soy and oh gosh I guess I'd have to go back to milk and Cheryl is flipping through a magazine just being very curt (laughs) and sarcastic as well and Larry apologizes but he gets the it's fine which is never good from a significant other yeah and I love that he's like, I'm. Uh, is it really? He's like, because I'm sensing rancor. He's like, is it rancor or rancor? I, I know how to spell. He like starts going off on on again a very Seinfeldian thing, dissecting a word. And Cheryl stops him before he's like, you know what? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, I did look it up, and it's rancor. Okay. Yeah, not how rancor. How is it spelled? R a n c o r. Okay. Yeah. So if you're talking about the creature from Star Wars uh, and that popped that, back up in Boba that Pat, is rancor. That's the rancor. Yeah. But and, and they're spelled the same way, I think. And they kind of mean the same thing. The uh, the rancor is full of rancor, I would say. Um, <laughs> but she's like, what do you want me to say, Larry? He's like, you know, I, I forgive you. Let's have sex. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's like, I take one or the other. Both would be great, but I'll take one or the other. And then he compares it to watching the Oscars. You know, if I came home and you were watching the Oscars and they were about to announce Best Actress. So he still can't even admit that he's wrong. He, well, I guess that was that was plan A. But plan B is just to go into what his real thoughts are, is that, like, I was right and you're wrong. Because the comparison is, like, you know, if you were doing this with the Oscars, I wouldn't expect two minutes. So he really is saying it's it's your fault that you came in and tried to talk to me in the last two <laughs> minutes of the game. It's like, third quarter, I'd give you 15 minutes, but this was the last two minutes of the game. But he just kind of rolls over and, and turns off the light. Uh, in Larry's office, his secretary notices that Larry is bumming. Do people still say that? Do you know what that means? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah okay. I know what it means. I don't think people still say it. Probably not, but it's the only way I could describe that. Like he's in, like the oldest stretched out, ripped sweatsuit <laughs> uh, that he has, and he's un- he's unshaven from uh, you know when Cheryl was out of town. I guess he just kind of you know let himself go, and so he's got some stubble. And he because Cheryl is not talking to him as well. He's also he's also kind of in a, in a little bit depressed and not feeling like putting you know a new sweat a new workout suit on or anything like that. And his secretary is like, well, you know what? It's, you know, it's gift time. You should get her a gift. And he remembers that she loved this really nice bracelet in a jewelry store. And the secretary is like, boom, that's it. You got to get it. By the way, I did some extra homework and found out that Larry's office is at 78 
South Fair Oaks Avenue. So now we have a location okay. if we ever need that. I think it's just a still just a shopping center at this point. Over at the 23rd Street shop, Fine Jewelry, it was at 2319 Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica. It was co-owned by sisters Diane and Mary, and it closed, I think, sometime last year. Their last Facebook post was December of 2020, and after 38 years, they closed. So if they open, it says they opened in 81, so that would be 2019, if my math is right. So I guess they held on. I guess they didn't count that last full year. They didn't say 39 years because maybe they didn't make it that whole 39th <laughs> year. And it was listed for lease in November of 2020 and sold in May of 2021 for 2.7 million. But right now there's nothing there on Google Maps. You just drive by and it's it's still an empty building. And the the sisters must have been great because it lists like what jewelry shop they're working at now. They both they kind of went their separate ways and they're both working at different jewelry stores and so like their contact information and their phone number and email and stuff it's like to contact mm. Diane she's here Mary's here I'm like man they must have been friggin' great at their job um, <laughs> and Larry is entering the jewelry store he sees that the bracelet is still there and but then he stopped by a homeless guy did you see the, the he gave him like a weird limp hand handshake I thought yeah, that was weird. I did maybe just because he is a homeless guy and he didn't want to like touch him or something like that but it was it was a weird interaction and I guess he had given this homeless guy some chicken larange at, at some point, and the guy's thanking him for it and asking him if he has any other food or, or anything, and he gives him a stick of gum. And the clerks notice this conversation going on that has now moved from the street into this little foyer. They have, like, a security door, and they think that Larry is also homeless, and so they won't let him in when he knocks on the door. I don't think, I think I looked it up, and I don't think these are the two sisters that were running the place at the time. I believe they're actresses. <laughs> I may be wrong about that. I, maybe we'll find out next week. But so outside, Larry uh, picks up his, takes his car phone off of the car phone charger, <laughs> the dedicated car phone, never moving charger, <laughs> and asks a guy just passing on the street to call this number. And if a woman picks up, hang up. Why couldn't Larry just do that? Why did he have to hand he did, it? Yeah. Because he doesn't want to talk to her. Yeah, but why couldn't Larry just, when the woman answers, just hit end? Mm, very true. Or was it that the guy was going to go, oh, sorry, wrong number, and then hang up? So she didn't think it was really weird. Mm, maybe. I'm yeah. not sure. I, I guess it's the second one, but if it's just, but he doesn't tell the guy to do that. He says, if a woman answers, hang up. Not if a woman answers, say wrong number, and then hang up. He just says, hang up. I'm like, well, you could do that, Larry. But maybe he just didn't even <laughs> want the, he wanted plausible deniability later on to go, to go no, I never called your place and hung up when she answered. I never yeah. did that, so, like which is true. <laughs> so it's Richard Lewis. He's calling Richard Lewis to come down and buy the bracelet. Richard Lewis shows up. How about this? I mean, Ted, this is how an independently wealthy man dressed in the year 2000. <laughs> God, the baggiest suit that you can possibly buy, the fattest fucking tie in the world. And the brightest, the fattest and brightest tie oh my in the God. world. It looked like, I remember this being a thing back in the 2000s, like, it looked like a, a Jimi Hendrix signature tribute tie. <laughs> I remember people having, like, like Jerry Garcia, you could get, like, a Jerry Garcia line of ties, and they were all, like, ass ugly. They were, like, 70s a rock aesthetic as filtered through the late 90s aesthetic so it was just like all the bad of everything and yeah i mean it, it's the baggy it's like six sizes too big and it's all black with a black shirt and then this bright ass tie i mean good god god 
yeah just just atrocious just a crime against fashion uh, and also i love his tiny little sunglasses too like people will dress this way in 2022 and you're gonna see them at a concert playing the worst fucking ska you've ever heard <laughs> yeah in sunglasses that are just big enough to cover the iris like that's how yes. big the sunglasses like i i just want the sun out of my iris not the whole eye <laughs> um so they richard is gonna go in and buy the bracelet but the jewelry store is closed until 1 30 so richard's like let's walk to lunch he wants to go to la farm evidently that's nearby nearby enough for richard not nearby enough for larry so guess what ted of course i had to do the math on this uh, L.A. Farm was at 3000 Olympic Boulevard, kind of in the middle of an office, like an industrial office park. I, I saw that in a couple huh. of reviews for the place. They were like, it's a weird location for a really nice restaurant. It does have maybe it wasn't too nice, but it did have, I think, like two dollar signs that I saw. But, you know, two dollar signs in L.A. is still like eleven dollar cocktails, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, that, that's what I found. So it was from the 23rd Street Jewelers to 3000 Olympic Boulevard. It's 1.3 miles, which Google says is a 27-minute walk, which I think is exactly where Richard Lewis pegged it, interestingly enough. So he was pretty much hmm. right on uh, about how right long it would money. take them. Yeah. yeah. But 1.3 miles is a long. It's funny, though. It's not a long way to walk in, in New York. Like, I've walked cities, like, up and down the whole way. But yeah. But That's it, a long way to walk in L.A. because L.A. is not built to walk. Yes, it's not a walking city. Yeah, you're you're gonna be lucky if <laughs> half of that distance has a sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and you're not gonna be you're gonna be passing through like a lot of different neighborhoods and stuff like that. Like it's not gonna look like a city the whole way, you know. So, it, by the way, uh, L.A. Farm closed, I think, in 2015. I think that's what I was able to discern. Larry is, we're, we come in in the middle of a conversation where Larry is telling Richard that the reason women have to be in love to have sex is because they're offended by male genitalia. And that's why they can't have meaningless sex. It has to mean something for them to put up with seeing it. It really has nothing to do with the rest of the episode at all. It's just a oh it's just a non sequitur conversation that we come in on. And in the tip space, as Larry is picking up lunch for his friend Richard, there's a there's space for the waiter and the captain. And Richard Lewis is like, Well, you know, you could do twenty percent for the waiter and ten percent for the captain. And you know you're in a nice restaurant restaurant if there is a waiter captain anyway. But Larry's like this is where I don't understand Larry because he gives 30% to the waiter. So the same amount of money. And then he's like, oh, the waiter can give the captain the 10% if he wants to or whatever. I'm like, if you were being cheap about it or didn't like the fact that you also had to tip this other guy, you would just give 20% to the waiter and then yeah. cross out the captain as he does anyway. But it's the same amount of money. It's just on principle. I feel like it would be a much more Larry thing to... Say, like, because he had the allotment of 20%, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, then give either 10 and 10 or 15 and 5. Don't yes. give 30 and 0. Yeah, 30, it's the same amount of money. Now you're now it's just the principle of, like, you don't want to tip that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it didn't make this, any this, sense. This kind of, like, goes against everything that he ha is established as of doing. Yeah. The reason to be upset about the tip isn't because a new person's getting it. It's because it's more money. Like, oh, great. Well, now I got to factor this in when I go out. Another 10% on the on top of everything. Yeah, really, really weird. but And, and really just a plot device for later. But it, it really didn't fit into Larry's character. Walking back, Larry and Richard are stopped by a blind guy who asks them to help move some boxes. He just moved into the area. And Larry doesn't want to. But Richard ropes him into it for some reason. <laughs> And the blind guy's name is Michael, by the way. 
So over at Michael's apartment, it turns out it's not just moving a couple boxes. They're they're moving this guy in, in pretty much. Yeah, the boxes are already <laughs> and, in the and apartment. Un- unpacking all of his shit. Yeah, everything. And by the end of it, Richard Lewis looks like Alice Cooper. <laughs> I mean, just like yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> in his all black suit and his just hair, mi- just minus the eyeliner. Yeah, yeah. But but the way the sweat is almost is covering his eyes, it almost you know it it looks almost like eyeliner. You know, he looks his his face looks weathered, I guess, so that it looks almost like his eyes are sunken in like that. And they start arguing about where the TV is placed because they took this big TV into the bedroom, and the blind guy wants it in. The living room because he's blind. He's not going to watch TV in his bedroom. Uh, he wants it out for when people are over. And so they finally finished moving this guy in. And he, he was just very, just ordering them around like once he had them. You know, a, a lot of the politeness just went out the window. And he was like, you know, move that there and put this here and stuff like that. Back at the jewelry store, it took so long moving Michael into his apartment that the, the jewelry store is now closed. And Richard Lewis says, it was a good day anyway, because, you know, they get a, did a good deed. He had lunch with his friend. They took a long walk. And this is Larry says, who are you, Norman Vincent Lewis? No idea. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'm only going to assume you're in the same boat as yep. me. <laughs> yep. So I'm writing it down for next week. Norman Vincent Lewis. Norman Vincent must be a famous man. Guy that who... was a, that <laughs> must have been a knee slapper in the writer's room. <laughs> yeah. He must have been a guy who just had a lot of good days. Richard has more serenity than Larry, he says. Uh, So he must have been a very serene guy as well. We'll find out what the hell that all meant. Back at home, Larry is again watching football game on the TV. Again, it's supposedly the Giants. And he's talking to Richard Lewis on the phone. He left his credit card at L.A. Farm, so he's got to go back and get that. And he made up with Cheryl anyway because he got her some roses. And so that took care of everything. And Richard asks if he can buy the bracelet since Larry's not going to buy it for Rachel anymore. I mean, Richard's not going to buy it for Cheryl anymore. And he says that's fine. So in the meantime, Cheryl comes home and Larry is very attentive. He's giving her eye contact and ignoring (laughs) the game completely this time. And Cheryl says... Yeah, she even comes in. She's like, oh, football again, huh? And Larry's (laughs) like, oh, what? Oh, I didn't even know it was on. Oh, is there a game on? (laughs) Yeah. And Cheryl says that, you know, she... She was thinking about that bracelet that they saw, and she does want it now. She wishes she bought it. And so, and Larry tells her, he's like, well, I just told Richard he could buy it. And he won't call back, mostly because he doesn't want to talk to his girlfriend. So he's like, you know what? I'll just go first thing in the morning. I got to go to get my credit card anyway. I'll go get the credit card and be there when they open, and I'll buy it before Richard buys it. Um, It's too bad it's the only one of these bracelets in existence. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. And you can't you know. say, ask the jewelry store where they might have ordered it from and have them get another <laughs> one. But yeah, so Larry's going to be there when it opens. The next morning, he is shaving. He's putting on a shirt and tie and a nice suit uh, because he wants to be let into the jewelry store this time. He goes to LA Farm to get his card and he parks in an employee spot. First of all, just just because he's running in and going to run back out. he's end up He ends up getting blocked in by... Perry, the waiter captain, who recognizes him and confronts him about the tip. And Perry will not move his car to let Larry go uh, because he's upset about not getting a tip. But Larry, you know, this d- it did kind of save him, even though Perry didn't believe him about like, oh, yeah, the, the waiter didn't give you the, 
the 30 percent he's like no there was 30 percent and then a line through myspace he's like no i was underlining i was emphasizing that he was supposed to give you oh i can't believe like blaming the guy <laughs> yeah. a really funny lie i like it. no i was underlining it oh my gosh you thought i was <laughs> and so larry starts running 1.3 miles back to oh 23rd Street Jewelers uh, and arrives right as Richard Lewis is showing up to buy the bracelet. It's amazing. I guess these, you know, rich comedians just have nothing to do. Like, might as well get up first thing in the morning and go to the jewelry store when it opens to buy <laughs> a really expensive. Like, I'm surprised that Richard was getting there as it opened. I didn't get that. He's like, oh, you know, hey, can I buy? It was just, can I buy the bracelet? It wasn't like, hey, can I go there tomorrow when they open and buy the bracelet? I want to do it for. I want to do it first. I I would imagine like maybe a month from now he'd go back and buy it, not the next day. Yeah, because um, he doesn't even say that it was for his girlfriend's birthday or anything. It yeah. was just kind of a because. Yeah, gift. yeah. So he was like, no, I I need it immediately. Uh, but Larry runs and, and he arrives right as Richard Lewis gets there, and they they start wrestling and spill into the foyer where any he, any he kicks Richard Lewis out. But again, now they've seen two guys attacking each other in the foyer, and so again. He was not being let into the jewelry store and frolic plays. And that's the end of the episode. Oh, boy. All right. What do we got for homework this week? Uh, who is Norman Vincent? Possibly Norman <laughs> Vincent Lewis. Probably not. But we'll we'll figure that out. <laughs> well, All right. Uh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> OK. Um, what do you like for cover art this week? Huh. Man, something with I feel like something with Larry and Richard. I'd love to get Richard's suit. I mean, I'd love, you know, we spent so much time fawning over it that <laughs> I'd love to have that, uh, you know, cemented in the, in the main feed forever. What are you thinking? I honestly don't know. Uh, I mean, was there any good shot of Larry and Richard moving Mike's stuff? Yeah, yeah. That, that is kind of the main, like, second act roadblock in the whole thing. Probably, yeah. I mean, maybe you could even get a good picture of. Alice Cooper looking Richard Lewis in his suit, <laughs> moving Mike stuff around at the end of at the end of that. Yeah, there might be a there might be a good shot of, of them. The funny thing is, Michael is going to come back. Uh, I was so surprised to see this actor because he has like a huge oh storyline later in the season. Um, later in no, season spoiler one. Spoiler alert. I don't know if it's in season one or not. Okay. I, I feel like it's not, which is which is weird. But yeah, it's the same actor and everything. All right. Yeah. Well, let's see oh. what we can do about uh, this week's description. All right. So we had, <laughs> Larry is continually thwarted in his effort to buy a bracelet as a peacemaking gift for Cheryl. I think it's great, actually. I love it. Yeah. yeah I, I think it, I think it's really good. I wish. It doesn't give anything away. I wish continue, continuously thwarted. I wish we had thought of that phrase back in the Seinfeld days because we could right? use it yeah. so often. Oh, my God. I feel like there were so many where we tried to, you know, because it's like, all right, he, he's bumming and they won't let him in. Um, and then, you know, he he's sweaty later. It's closed and they it's closed and they go to lunch. And that happens so often in Seinfeld that someone's continuously thwarted that I wish we would have. I wish we would have had that phrase back then. Oh well, perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Well, Tim, it is time to open up Newman's mail sack. Yay! So we got an email from David Pootsier. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, we have oh. emails from David Pootsier. I bet he's back to hating us. <laughs> Subject line, you deflated my pants tent. <laughs> All right, it's kind of funny. First, dot, 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 the good. Oh, no. Let me say, in the pants tent, while watching, I did not actually laugh once, but while I listened to your reaction to the episode, I laughed often. That must indicate something as to why yours is still my favorite podcast of the dozens I listen to a week. Hmm. Okay. 
Now, <laughs> dot, 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 the bad. <clears throat> you made it your second episode before you misguided SJW crap made it in. <laughs> if you had gone two more episodes, it would have been a record, damn it. This time it was in the dinner scene where Larry said how he liked seeing a black entrepreneur and the parents said, what do you mean? You made the illogical leap that, well, they're obviously racist. Why is that so often your default assumption? For example, when Elaine asked the officer to do something about the man spraying the hose on the sidewalk, well, he was black, so obviously you felt Elaine was being racist. <laughs> wow. How about the... P- <laughs> <laughs> How about the parents didn't give the owner's skin color a second thought and felt Larry bringing it up was odd? What does his skin color have to do with it? Or anything? Frankly, it's Larry's comment that was on the racist side in reality, which I do not think he is, by the way. What he has is white guilt. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, he said that in his um, (laughs) – because he does the white liberal nodding or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, But we we spoke to why it is an issue because for sure – black entrepreneurs have been marginalized and kept out of some of the business world. So he likes, yeah, you know, and and that's why it's weird that they go, Oh, why, why do you think? But you know, I guess we're reverse racists, just like Larry (laughs) David for thinking that for for Uh, loading their response. But but he signs it. Still love the show. David Poots here, Springfield, (laughs) Oregon. P.S. You aren't reading this in that voice. Are you You better not be, or I'll have to go all Will Smith on you. Oh, Oh, wow. (laughs) <laughs> we're not taking that bait David that's the only reason I decided to read it in that voice for the second paragraph <laughs> uh, yeah, oh my yeah. alright so so next week we've got season 1 episode 5 interior decorator original air date November 12th 2000 and if you're looking in TV Guide that night you are going to see an act of kindness results in Larry missing a meeting with an actress whose phone number he just can't get I feel like I'm going all Jerry with that. A phone number he just can't get. Sounds like he's continuously thwarted in trying to get this phone number. (laughs) What if every episode says Larry David is continuously thwarted (laughs) in blank in in trying to get the phone number of an actress? We need to add it to everyone's (laughs) mad at Larry because he's continuously thwarted in a bizarre series of events or whatever that is. Everyone's <laughs> mad at Larry as he's continuously thwarted in a bizarre series of events. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's wait, wait, like he always like is. Like he always is. <laughs> there we go. We're, we're crafting the perfect Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, synopsis just as we go. I can't wait to find out what, what the n- next one after the interior decorator says, <laughs> but we'll have to. Do you think these episodes are going to get longer? These are uh, shorties. Our episodes? Yeah. I think we're staying, like, sub one hour. Because, I mean, this is the longest episode we've done. Yeah. And, I mean, prior to any editing, we're at 52 minutes. Yeah. It's 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 a shorty. Oh, but I did uh, – let me make it a little bit longy. What did you think of this episode? I really liked it. Yeah. I liked it, and it brought up something that, you know, he said he didn't laugh at the Pants Tets episode, even though I thought that's funny. It's just such a big difference, and we've already kind of touched on this, such a big difference between – Seinfeld's humor, which I thought relied on a lot of jokes, and this, which just relies on a lot of funny situations. Yeah. Like, I found myself it, just, like, laughing at this funny situation, much in the way that, like, you'd laugh at yeah. something in the office or whatever. It's just cringe comedy, you know, early cringe comedy. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good way to describe it. Yeah, like like all of his, you know, uh, interactions with Cheryl and just, you know, I'm, I'm just, just laughing at the situation and not at anything they're saying. It's just they set it up so well. 
So yeah, I mean, it, it, it didn't get a star, but I still enjoyed the episode. <laughs> no star, though. All right, is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, for No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. <laughs> I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. <laughs>